verse 5 today. Holy Spirit, inspirer of Scripture, come and teach us today. Minds and hearts, clued in, focused. Hearing but also seeing, for it's what we see, what fixes in the imagination of our hearts that shapes us. Give us more than anything else a deeper appreciation of Jesus, what he's done for us, who he is to us, and the power that he wants to bring to bear upon our lives. Jesus, be honoured now, we pray, in this time. Amen. Amen. So, some weeks ago now, when we hit Ephesians 4, we set off thinking about walk worthy of the calling you have received. That is to say, God has called you out of darkness, called you out of sin, by his Son, to a new life, a new way of being, a new way of living. And therefore, there is, there is change, not just a one-off change, but a continuum process of change where we learn how to live this life. The continuing process of change is called in biblical language or theological language, sanctification. God calls us saints and then makes us saints. Develops us into the thing we are already called. You think, well, that's a strange idea. No, it isn't. You have an heir to the throne who needs to be trained to be the king. You have doctors who are trainee doctors. You don't let them doctor people until they've been trained in how to doctor, even though from the beginning they they get that title. We are named by God, his children, saints, his holy ones, so that we then learn to grow into our identity in Christ. Walk worthy sounds like a a command from heaven, but it isn't like when the law was thundered out from Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. This is the law. This is straighten up, repent, change. Listen, in the New Covenant, God's instructions come to us with enabling grace. God's word comes to us in the New Covenant made in and by Jesus. And what the Lord commands, he equips and empowers. It's not left to us to make it happen, to figure it out, to pull ourselves together and somehow battle through. God's word comes with his grace to enable us, to empower us. We're not self-improvers, but those who are being changed by grace through faith, by the working of the Holy Spirit through the truth. So God's word comes to us so that we will respond and find his grace to obey, to act, to change. Here's a headline for you. Change is possible for us because all God's resources are available to us. Therefore, the only thing that will limit change is our unbelief seen in rebellion. But change is possible. It is what it is. I am what I am. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That ignores the power of the grace of God. Every one of us can grow. Every one of us can change. Not, only, not because there's something in us, but because there's infinite resources in him. Infinite resources of grace and strength of power. 
So after setting out in chapter 4 the the vision and mission of the church, both in the ministry of every member, not just leaders. Leaders train people to serve. They're not the, the servants of the Lord. We all are the servants of the Lord. And growth to maturity. I know that's, that sermon got people's attention. There was a fight over notes afterwards. So, God bless you. Um, we are in growth to maturity. Then Paul set out some instructions about walking worthily. I just want to go back over this a minute. Started negatively. He said, therefore I say this and testify their Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their minds. Um, we're to put off an old way of life and put on a new way of life in Christ Jesus. In fact, the old way of life is to be counted as having died when Jesus was crucified and buried when Jesus was buried. And by the way, that's what we act out in baptism, buried with Christ, raised to newness of life. The old way of life is dead, killed at the cross, where to treat death as gone. But there's a very wrong idea about uh, the grace of God. And it goes like this, that God is so nice and so kind, he puts up with everything. He really doesn't hold us to moral boundaries. Because he's all mercy, he is love. Uh, you just invented a new definition of love there to suit your purpose. That's not what the Bible teaches us. His grace is full of power, not to put up with us in our continuing sin, but to free us from our sins. The Bible doesn't talk about he washed us from the guilt of our sins, but he washes us from our sins. He will call his name Jesus, he who saves, God who saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Not just the, 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 the result, the outcome, the, the debt of their sins, but from the power of the thing itself. Free us from sins and energize us to live for him. So these practical points then, we, we already looked at them a couple of weeks ago. Truthfulness. Since you... I haven't put it all there. I've cut out a bit of the scripture. Right? Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we're members one of another. Truthfulness. Anger. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. I'm not going to preach these again. There isn't time. Honesty. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands. So he's no longer even an ex-thief. He's now an honest man, an honest worker. So that he has something to share with anyone in need. Wholesome speech. No foul language is to come from your mouth. But only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, the chapters and verses, markings in the Bible, and even the divisions, uh, uh, weren't there in the original scripts, you know. In fact, it was just a string, a run of Greek letters that you know, we had to work out what the words were and where the punctuation should go and so on. So that's why there's some differences on how you approach some verses because in the original old manuscripts there's no clues. And really, very often when the Bible, you know, the guys who later on, centuries later, put in the verses, the verse markings and the chapter markings, they break things up that are really... And really there's no break here. Chapter 5 goes straight on and says, Walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. And walk, walk means a whole way of life, the whole totality of the way you behave in your lifestyle, 
walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Walk in love. Picks up on the beginning of chapter 4, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. You see, we believers in Jesus are the children of God and we're becoming gradually more like our Father. In fact, we're becoming like Jesus who is God in man. We're imitating him. Now, if you imitate something, there's, a, there's, a, there's an original, the real deal, isn't there? There's a real thing that's worth imitating. People make imitation Fabergé eggs because they're so precious, you know, that there are people making fake imitations. Actually, they're making them with the real thing, you know, but, but they're not the original one, but they're making a clever copy because they want to copy the original. We're not just copying, aping, mimicking, we are becoming more like as we imitate our Father. If we know we're dearly beloved by Heavenly Father, why would we not want to imitate Him? One reason only, sin, rebellion. A wicked heart that says, no. Sin in an unregenerate human heart says, I don't want to become more like God. I don't want to learn His ways. Remember that when the Bible talks about love too, it's not really pointing to an emotion but to action. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, the, the, the point of that verse is not what did God feel like, it's what he did. It's what he did. Love that is only feelings and words but has no practical benefit is not worth much. We are to walk in love. Walk means the whole way of life. It does not say here, walk in love with your family. All right? It doesn't even say, walk in love with one another, meaning your fellow Christians. It says, actually, it's implying everybody. Walk in love towards everyone else. Neighbours, workmates, bosses. We give ourselves in love to serve others, just as Jesus, Messiah himself, gave himself for us. It's interesting that To go back to this phrase here. The terrible suffering and death of Jesus on the cross is here described as an odour of sweetness to God. It's a quotation from Genesis 8. An odour of sweetness to God. So the precious death of God's only son to him was precious and sweet. To us it's devastating. Because it comes to completely radically change our lives. Here's a quote from Charles Sergeant, old commentator. There is no. Oh, that's the wrong quote. The quote is We have been reconciled to God by the sweet fragrance of Christ's sacrifice, can never return to a life that reeks with the vile stench of sin. Immediately having spoken about how precious was the offering of Christ on the cross to the Father for us. Paul then goes on to say, I've got these in the wrong order, there's the quote. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you... I'm going backwards, that's why. But sexual immorality and impurity or greed 
should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. We'll come back in a moment to what this verse says in a minute, but notice the sexual immorality and impurity and greed, covetousness, should be so foreign to us as Christians that we don't even talk about them, they don't even mention of course they're mentioned in the world, but amongst us, no, 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 that, that's, that's foreign to us. We don't, we don't go there. But God's dear children, his holy ones. What is proper for the saints is what the world doesn't understand. And what is improper for the saints is what the world thinks is, is the things that matter. Cleanness of speech, again. Ephesians 5 verse 4. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. If you're a Christian, it, this thing here, which James says is a little evil thingy, it does, it does a lot of wickedness, this thing in here, needs to get converted and be put to better use, to blessing, to thanksgiving, to encouragement, not to running people down, not coarse language not foolish talking or crude joking dirty coarse talk has no place with us no blue jokes no cursing no swearing it's interesting how swearing people Jesus talked about swearing don't swear by anything let yes be yes you know be no why do you have to add words to that to, to make emphasis to show off to be proud Become such an honest person that people will trust your yes or your no as a yes or a no without needing to multiply it up with additional words of cursing. And a lot of uh, cursing in English and Old English is either of a sexual nature or it's of a religious nature. You'll excuse me for a moment, but the word bloody is really a religious curse. You're swearing by the wounds of Christ. Let your yes be yes. And you know be no, for much more than that is evil, says Jesus. If you go further than that, you'll be going over into evil. We need to cultivate a grace-filled sense of humour, not the bitter, scathing, critical, cynical wit of the world. I don't know if it's me getting old or what, but when even I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I put the radio on, I'm driving the car, and they have some so-called BBC Radio 4 comedy, I'm going, hmm? Hmm? What? Don't get it. It's not funny just isn't funny. No matter how hard they try, it's like, no, you missed my funny bone again and it doesn't get me. A big part of that change of outlook, which leads to change in our speech, says here, is to cultivate thankfulness. Now, when we get to further down Ephesians 5, so we're going to talk a bit more about thankfulness next time. From now, let me say that to deal with negative behavior or a pattern of behavior or speech the remedy is not just to stop something, but to start something. That's what we're looking at in those things we just looked at again back in Ephesians 4. You don't just say, I'm going to stop doing that. No, you choose to do something else instead. It's replacement activity. Psychologists will tell you this is what you need to do. You need to say, no, 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 yes to that. No to that, yes to that. Move away. Refocus. You've got to replace your activity. You've got to replace your speech. So you replace better words for wicked words. Better thoughts for wicked thoughts. 
That's the way the Bible directs us, to put off this and put on that. Not, you don't just stop, 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 so you go, here I am, I'm not doing anything. I'm not saying anything. Hear no evil, see no evil. You replace negative activity, bad things, with good things. That's the language of the Bible. We're to pursue wholesome speech, not to take a vow of silence. Giving thanks both to God and to others is an excellent way to build new attitudes and vocabulary as a Christian. And I mean give to thank, thanking people too. Cultivate it. And then the Bible here gets into some very challenging issues. We are not like the rest of the world. We're not like the people around us who are still lost. They don't know Christ. They are unbelievers. You might think this is kind of going over the top, but this is where it says, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of the Messiah, and of God. We come again, as we did in Ephesians 4, to these two words, lust and greed. Talking with Joe before the meeting, in, talking about the nature of sin. And the nature of sin is firstly pride. Satan tempted Adam. If you do this, you'll be like God. Adam's heart swelled. Pride began to grow in him. But out of pride is the pursuit of self, selfishness, selfish use of sexual pleasure. Selfish use of material possessions. Grab, grab, grab. I must have it all. Lust, used there to speak of sexual activity. Greed of material covetousness. We looked at it before in Ephesians 4. Unbelieving Gentiles became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's not more and more of the sex. It's more more possessions. These two things, sexual lust, material greed, they pretty much characterize their modern society. It's interesting that in the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s onwards, they, people argued that they were pursuing free love. Really, love had nothing to do with it. It was simply lust. Love does not treat another person as a sexual object or as a temporary partner. Greed here, back in this verse, is called idolatry. Idolatry. It's worshipping a false god. People say that money is just neutral. Well, money is neutral. You can use it for good things or bad things. Don't, don't be hard on money, David. Hang on a minute. I can't get around the fact, I do read my Bible and I know what Jesus said. Mm. Jesus called money deceitful. Yeah. He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will take the word of God away from your heart and make you unfruitful. Money is deceitful. It's tricksy in itself. Why? Because it's, it's our creature. We made it. It's our creation. And then, in another couple of places, Jesus calls uh, money mammon, which isn't even a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. It's, it's a false god. It's a false god. If you love money, you can't love God. Because you've already got a God, he's called money. Yep. Amen. You can't serve them both. Yep. 
That's what Jesus said. We are told, therefore, in Scripture, that that the love of money is... It's worshipping a false god. And all you need is another 2008 or even worse 1930s crash and we all figure out money ain't worth that much. We're told to keep ourselves from the love of money. Make sure that we don't have it in our hearts as Christians. Now, have I got this? No, I've got all the quotes in the wrong order. Anyway, there's a quote from Charles Sudge. There's no cure for this destructive love of money, but using it for other than selfish purposes. Riches, therefore, must ruin their possessor unless he employs them for the good of others and for the glory of God. The Bible calls this adultery and idolatry. Both will exclude a person from the kingdom of God. Either one will shut you out from the kingdom of God. That's not popular today, is it? Do not be deceived, Paul says. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Do not be deceived. That's a warning that Paul often issues, to be deceived. 1 Corinthians, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people idolaters, including those who love money, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Look at the next verse. And some of you used to be like that. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were that. You're not that now. Here's another place. Don't be deceived, Paul writes into Galatians. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh, I've got to move this sun. Oh, it's a long way over. Okay. I can see you. And I've got green spots in front of my eyes. Okay. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh, to his fallen human nature, will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. You reap what you sow. And then there's a further encouragement here. So we, we Christians, must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Keep investing in what's good and right and serving and helping and and, and encouraging others because we will be rewarded for that. Don't give up. But God's wrath is coming upon all sinful Wicked human behavior. There are any number of empty arguments today that seek to dismiss the thought that God will judge anyone for anything. I've heard them. 
Those arguments are based in philosophy, sophistry and sympathy rather than scripture. Let me tell you this, right and wrong, moral imperatives, right and wrong, are not determined by human sentiment, but by moral principles set by God, set out in his word. I got the right quote here. I don't know what I was on last night. So if anyone comes and tells you that as a Christian you don't have to be concerned about keeping commandments or obeying the law of God, you're listening to someone who's speaking empty words, words that could deceive you. The unbelieving world around us is storing up, says scripture, wrath for the day of wrath. But if you're a Christian serving the Lord Jesus, you are storing up reward for the day of reward. Either way, we will each reap what we sow. Because God has made that a law of operation. And he won't be mocked. He won't break that. He goes on to say, walk in the light. You once were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. You are now light in the Lord, children of light. Why does it say children? Well, that's a Hebrew way of speaking. If you're a child of the devil, you're following the devil. If you're a child of God, you belong to him. It's what you belong to. What becomes your nature? We're children of light. We belong to the light. The light belongs to us. It's where we belong. Living and walking in the light is where we belong, not in the darkness. Walk in the light is not a new idea. It's a theme that runs through the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus himself used it repeatedly, and John uses it in his letter here, 1 John 1 verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk in the view of God by what he says, by his truth, in obedience, but also to walk as following the light who is Jesus. Fixing our eyes on him, following the light. As I could now follow the light, but it stops about there. Following the light. Pursuing the light. Receiving the light. Changing in the light. This is the call of the gospel here. Live out there in the light, not in the darkness, not dodging in and out of the shadows. Come into the full sunlight of God's love and God's purpose. Another headline for you. Find out what pleases the Lord and do it. Our ambition is not getting away with anything, but pursuing what is pleasing to the Lord. And the light produces fruit, righteousness, goodness and truth, which are the opposite of malice and unrighteousness and falsehood, which has been mentioned. But don't be partners with darkness. Verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything is exposed by the light, is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Paul is connecting back to Ephesians 2. You previously walked according to the ways of this world. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, we read earlier, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as unbelieving people, Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. We are not like the rest of the world, and we cannot be like the rest of the world, because we've been captivated by the grace of God. 
You know, our society actually now celebrates what is really shameful. We've lost the shame about it. We are urged to call, by political correctness and other factors today, we are being urged to call darkness light. I can't go there. Light exposes darkness. The contrast is unmistakable. In fact, light overcomes darkness because darkness is just really the absence of light. Darkness has no power when light comes in. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper, rise from the dead and the Messiah will shine on you. That little poem there may be part of an early Christian hymn. It's certainly based upon some Old Testament passages, but it's probably an early Christian hymn. The light of Jesus, the Messiah, is shining on you. Um, very often, if I'm... Uh, Carol's way the moment, so I've got the bedroom to myself. I sleep with the blind open because I like to be woken up by the sun. Well, after a day or two of that, I start to go to bed a lot earlier because the sun's waking me up early in the morning. But I, I, kinda lo- I prefer that to measure my days that way. Get to bed early and get up early. I just prefer to, you know, why, why, why be in bed when the sun's shining? That's what this, this little poem here is saying. The sun is shining on you. Wake up. Get up. Be alert. Jesus is shining on you. Wake up to him. Be alert to him. Now for some of us, that's like rising from the dead. We're not very good at getting up in the morning perhaps. And we're not very good at responding to the light of God. It's like being shaken from the dead. Fine. Get up. Rise from the dead. And Jesus Messiah will shine on you. And it says, take no part. We make these choices. No one forces us to go to the place where dark things are being done. Or to keep company with those who are living in darkness. We sit with someone at work, but we don't have to join in saying what they say and doing what they do. We just have to relate with them to get the job done and be civil and courteous and friendly. But we don't have to partner with them in some things. Join in the conversation when it goes there. We don't have to partner. By our very refusal to conform to the world around us, we expose the works of darkness. You don't have to lecture, you just have to be the light. You don't have to give people a ticking off. You know? Deliver a little sermon. You just have to not go where they go in the conversation in the jokes both James and John tell us that friendship with the world is enmity with God it's not saying we treat unbelievers as enemies but we cannot be yoked as partners with those who do not love God whether in marriage or in business or in close friendship look at 2 Corinthians 6 do not be mismatched with unbelievers the very fact that you're a believer and they're an unbeliever is that's a mismatch Right? That's a mismatch. Scripture here says, don't, don't hook up. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Actually, the word there is belial. Which again, is not even a Greek word translated to English. It, it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a false god, belial. A wicked god. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? 
Oh, there it is. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Sorry, I got the wrong verse. Or what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does God's sanctuary? That's not saying your church building. That's you as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You as a Christian, a temple of the Holy Spirit. What agreement do, do, do you have as a temple of God with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God, as God said. We're to live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're to negotiate and trade and, 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 and converse and have conversations and dialogue and so on, but we cannot enter into the pattern of behavior and speech of those who don't believe in Christ. John Trapp, an old Puritan, never heard of him until this week. Here's the way he said it. Okay, it's old-fashioned English, 1600s English. Lest by infection of their sin ye come under the infliction of their punishment. You see, the way that people around us is behaving is actually storing up the wrath of God. So are we going to partner in doing that same thing or saying that same thing and carrying on in the same way? Uh, No, we we can't go there. We can't go there. Someone will say, I I know so-and-so isn't a Christian, but, or, you know boyfriend, girlfriend, but, you know, I'm trusting God to save them, or that they'll become a Christian. You can't, no, 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 you you can't make that deal. Because the Lord says from day one, don't don't partner. Don't hook up. In fact, the Bible language is yoke. Two animals with a bar of wood across their shoulders, and they're strapped to the same yoke. Don't get in the same yoke with an unbeliever. Marriage, business, even really close friendship. The Bible talks about walking wisdom. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, the way you live, how you behave, the way you speak. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. There's even a whole genre of scripture called wisdom. The books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job are wisdom literature. It's a whole Hebrew style of literature. We saw in Ephesians 4, 17-19 that the unbelieving world are walking in the fertility of their thoughts, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts, they become callous. I don't want to make any mistake here. When you go to the book of Proverbs, you find the fool does this, but the wise man does that. Right? And I think, yeah, yeah, and everyone goes, oh, oh, dear, okay, which am I then? Are you reading the Bible plan and you, get, you just get a verse or two verses of Proverbs? It hits you like a, like a jab in the arm, doesn't it? Oh, ow. Yeah. Like little, little bullets of wisdom. They catch your attention. Am I like that? The Bible uniformly calls those who do not know God, and do not honor God, fools. Now, that doesn't mean I go around calling everybody that because I get in some trouble. It's discourteous for a start, but the Bible calls, it, calls people that. 
How can you be cut off from the wisdom of God and be any way wise? How can you reject the light of God and say you can see? How can you t- deafen your ears to the word of God and say, but I, I hear well, you know? How can you have a heart, a heart that's darkened by sin and say, but I understand things pretty well? You may be clever, inventive, but if you have no guiding God-honorable principles or purpose, you won't have them unless his wisdom is written into your being. If you want wisdom, you've got to come to God. You need to read his word. That's how you'll understand what the will of the Lord is, by humbly receiving his word to instruct and direct you. And we don't just receive his word and treasure it, we put it to work. We live it out in everyday life, and that's walking in wisdom. You know, some people can be really smart, but they don't do anything. The other people who lecture you when you're doing some DIY. You know, there used to be a Harry Enfield character who did, I wouldn't do it like that, I'd do it like that. Well, come and do it then. They've got an answer for everything, but do they actually ever do anything? Wisdom is seen in what you do, in how you live. Not what you say you think. It's what you put into practice. That's where wisdom is. We also need to make the most of our time because the days are evil. The days were evil then when Paul wrote this letter. The days of the Roman Empire. The worst Roman emperor ever was then in charge of the Roman Empire. Nero. I won't won't tell you about him now. It'll take time. The days were evil. Soon after the letters were written, a great persecution broke out against the Christians from Rome under Nero. They were evil days. The, The level of morality in the Roman Empire following on from the Greek Empire was pretty base. And you think we just invented all of this stuff. <laughs> we didn't. The days were evil then, and the days are evil now. Speaking about Britain, we've had times in the past when God-honoring values have had more influence in our society than now. And we may pray and work to see those principles restored to a nation. But there can be no doubt for the moment that our days are evil because many kinds of evil are at work and they even have legal and popular support. Walk wisely. Here's R.C. Sproul. Went to be with the Lord just recently, American theologian. Christians are called to live in a context of spiritual crisis. Let me interrupt that to say, do you know you're in a war? As a Christian, do you feel somewhat embattled in your faith? If you don't, (laughs) you sure will. Christians are called to live in a context of spiritual crisis. Evil is rampant in the culture around us. As long as the kingdom of God is in conflict with the powers of darkness, it may be said that the days are evil. Therefore, Paul writes, don't waste your life. Walk in wisdom. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You see, um, when men are in a battlefield, uh, you know, they're under fire. When there's an opportunity, no matter how small it seems, to have a nap because you can, you know, you're safe for a little while. To have a nap, to have something to eat, excuse me also, even to go to the toilet. Every opportunity to do ordinary things, they do because the opportunity might not come again for a while. 
And we need to have that mentality about being a Christian. I've got this opportunity to, good, to do good now. I have this opportunity to, to pray for someone now. But I'm, I'm not going to put it off because it, my time may be stolen from me. Even remembering to do it may be, may be gone in a little while because I'll get busy again. So you take the opportunities in life to do what he's doing as you go on through life. How many of you know that there are things you can do that will waste your life, like watching TV all day? Or getting drunk? It just wastes your life, doesn't it? Just wastes your life. You've got so much sand in your sand timer and you think, okay, I'm going to use my sand. No, you break the top off and you stop pouring it out. There's a whole day wasted. There's There's a couple of days wasted. There's a few hours there wasted. Don't waste your life. You get this one to be ready for the next one. It's because we live as lights in a dark world, we need to be awake, alert, and use our time well, making the most of every opportunity, resisting every work of darkness and choosing to walk in light and in love and in wisdom. We're going to come next time that we get into Ephesians 5 to verse 18 where it says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Later on, as we go into chapter 6, we're going to be looking at learning to fight the fight of faith. Being equipped with the armour of God, the sword of the Spirit and prevailing prayer. All of these things, to give you the headline again, is really about us becoming who you are in Jesus. You have a new identity, a new name. Christian, child of God, saint of God, servant of God. That's what God calls you. All of these practical, te- this practical teaching, all these practical lessons that we're looking at in Ephesians are so we begin to walk worthy of the, what we're called. We begin to fit the new identity. Learning a whole new way of life which is so different from the way other people may live around us that the Bible calls it wisdom against foolishness, light against darkness, Christ against Belial, righteousness against unrighteousness. I said before, and said again, that doesn't mean we have to go around lecturing everybody, but by our example we show them light. We show them the real thing what it is to live under the care of God, the love of God, and to do what is pleasing to God. And if you want to know what is pleasing to God, it's all in here. The things that God loves, the things that God hates. And he doesn't change his mind on those because he doesn't need to. He's the eternal one. And you mustn't set off with a theory of God. It's love that rules out his holiness and his justice and that repeals his law that everyone will reap what they sow. He's not going to repeal that law. That's still true. Becoming who you are in Christ. So don't lose your grip on the basics. The heart of the gospel is the grace of God coming to us through Jesus. Grace through faith. 
grace, spirit, and truth. And let's think for the last few moments here about some of the things that Jesus is to us. He is grace. It comes through him. He is truth. Grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ, John 1. He is life, the life of God in man. And his life is the light of the world. We see the way he is and how he lives, and it's light to us. It blows away our our idea about, wow, what's a human being like? Well, humans are just like this and like that. And suddenly, here's Jesus, a whole different kind of human being, because he's God in flesh, and he shows us light. And when the light comes, we say, whoa, 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 that, wow, that's amazing. Then and we look inside, we go, oh my goodness, that's dark. But he comes to free us, to release us, to change us. Light exposes darkness, but then banishes the darkness. It overcomes the darkness. The darkness could not overcome the light of the world, Jesus. He overcame the darkness. And he can do it in you. He can do it for the people you love. One of the things we mean to do most for our families, for those we're fond of in all sorts of ways, is to pray that the light of God in the face of Jesus may break through upon them. Keep praying for it. You can't do it by your words of persuasion. You certainly can't argue people into the kingdom of God. But you, in a sense, you can pray them through. God uses prayer in these things far more than we even imagine. Pray for your children. Pray for your families. Pray for your workmates. But don't dumb down who you are in Christ. Don't compromise in being less than the Christian you're called to be. Show them compassion. Show them your care. And even tell them you're praying for them. Unless you're in the sort of place where they're so anti-Christian you'll get into trouble with the authorities. I suppose. But listen, we don't compromise with the world to make ourselves more acceptable. We need to be the light of the world and show them what the truth looks like in a human body, in a human being. Walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. These wonderful things that Christ has brought to us, that the Father names us. And you can go through them again and delight in them. But every one of those calls for us to change and change and change again and grow and grow and grow again and learn and learn and learn some more. What this Christian life is. Because it's a whole life that demands the whole of me dedicated to the God who gave the whole of his son for me. Jesus died on the cross, body and soul, for you and I. What do I return to him? My body, my heart, my mind, my inner being, my soul. The grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation, teaching us to deny ungodliness, to say no to it, and to live uprightly, justly, I've forgotten the next bit in this present evil world. That's Titus. Let's pray together. Father.
We do, Lord, come to you today to acknowledge that many of us have seen the light and embraced the light, but it's not, we're still negotiating the light. We're still, we're still seeking to move away from some dark places and dark ways and embrace your truth. But you call us with such passion, with such urgency, with such grace, because your resources are available to us. You hold out your hand to us and your hand stretches from your heart to deliver into us all the help we need to live as the lights in dark places, to live as the children of God in a wicked generation. We do not want to be those who simply tick off and dismiss people around us. We want to have a compassion and a care for them. We want to feel deeply for the fact that they don't know you and they don't love you. We give ourselves to you, Lord, to be moved by your compassion, your grace, the God who so loved the world that he gave his son. We commit ourselves to the cause of the gospel, that this good news of Jesus Messiah, crucified, raised, reigning now in heaven, will be spread to every person on the planet, (coughs) causing a great final totality of humanity to be turned to God through Jesus. We pray for that harvest. We pray it might impact our own families, our workplaces. Oh, don't leave us by, Lord. If people are turning to Christ in hundreds and even thousands in places in the world today, let it happen again here too, we pray, in the UK. God, be gracious to us and bless us that we may be a blessing to those around us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.